Welcome, Weirdos! I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss future uploads. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by the Nocturnal Readers Box at thenocturnalreadersbox.com and be listening at the end of this episode as I give you a very special deal that they are offering only to Weirdo family members. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the Weird Dark. Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. Yes. America is full of historic bridges, and nearly all of them have a ghostly reputation. Such is the case with the Poinsett Bridge in Landrum, South Carolina, a 195-year-old bridge said to be the site of mysterious lights, strange sounds, and frightening apparitions. But are the stories true, or are they nothing more than local lore? The History of Poinsett Bridge Built in 1820, Poinsett Bridge is the oldest surviving span in South Carolina. The bridge was once part of a road that connected Charleston and Columbia to the mountain communities of North Carolina. It's now the titular landmark in the 120-acre Poinsett Bridge Heritage Preserve in Landrum, South Carolina. Thought to be designed by the same architect who designed the Washington Monument, Poinsett Bridge is a popular tourist attraction and it is listed on the United States National Register of Historic Places. But Poinsett Bridge? Haunted? Unlike some haunted bridges, Poinsett Bridge has no clear backstory. One legend claims a lynched slave haunts the span, while another attributes the haunting to Indians and lost burial grounds. A third legend claims a mason died during the bridge's construction and is now entombed inside. To my knowledge, there is no historical evidence to support any of these stories. Historical evidence or not, many people think something strange is afoot at Poinsett Bridge. One paranormal investigation team noted unexplained red and white lights in the vicinity of the bridge, while a photo revealed a mist of man-sized proportion. 
that same team recorded an EVP that sounded like a human heartbeat. Another team reported significant EMF spikes, which is notable as the bridge is in a remote mountain area with no power lines. They also saw a large white figure that one woman believed to be the spirit of an Indian shaman. Other creepy reported incidents include unexplained screams, eerie moans, malfunctioning equipment, and cars that won't start after a visit. Is Poinsett Bridge truly haunted? Known as the Girl in the Glass Coffin or Sleeping Beauty, Rosalia Lombardo is widely considered one of the best-preserved mummies in the world. This is the story of her mummy, which apparently blinks. The girl died at the age of two of pneumonia in 1920. Rosalia's father was so sorely grieved upon her death that he approached Dr. Alfredo Salafia, a noted embalmer and taxidermist, to preserve her. Dr. Salafia performed the procedure that would preserve Rosalia, and for about a century the exact formula remained a mystery, lost to the grave with Salafia. In 2009, a biological anthropologist named Dario Piombino Mascali tracked down the eternal formula through Salafia's living descendants. According to this miraculous formula, the chemicals include formalin, zinc salt, alcohol, salicylic acid, and glycerin. The combination of alcohol and the climate conditions within the catacombs would have dried Rosalia's body. Glycerin would have allowed the body to mummify and salicylic acid prevented the growth of mold. The magic ingredient was zinc salt, which gave the body rigidity, essentially turning it into wax. She was one of the last corpses to be admitted to the Capuchin catacombs of Palermo, Sicily, where about 8,000 mummies are being kept. She soon became one of the most well-known. Her preservation is such that it appears as if she were only sleeping. Today, thousands of visitors visit the Sicilian catacombs to take a look at and admire this little girl that never had the chance to enjoy life. According to a Peruvian journal, Scientists interested in learning more about the embalming techniques employed in Rosalia's body put a camera inside her sarcophagus capable of taking pictures every 60 seconds. What happened next came as a surprise. The images taken by the camera seemed to show the little mummy's blue, intact eyes were opening and closing several times a day. This weird phenomenon has been the subject of various speculation for some years. Is it really possible for a deceased person's eyes to blink? How can this behavior be explained? Some scientists said that the blinking is caused by the natural humidity in the crypt where she's kept. Just recently, Italian researchers have once again debunked the claims that Rosalia Lombardo opens and closes her eyes every day. It's an optical illusion produced by the light that filters through the side windows, which during the day is subject to change," Dario Piombino Moscali, curator of the Capuchin Catacombs, said. They are not completely closed, and indeed they have never been, he says. 
There are also some skeptics who say that the real body of Rosalia was replaced with a realistic wax replica. However, the child's coffin was x-rayed, and it has been discovered that not only a skeletal structure but her organs were still intact. Her brain was perfectly visible, only having shrunk 50% due to the mummification process. At 750 years old, like many old buildings, Ordsall Hall has gained a reputation over the years for being haunted. Ordsall Hall is a historic house and a former stately home in Ordsall Salford, Greater Manchester. It dates back over 750 years, although the oldest surviving parts of the present hall were built in the 15th century. The most important period of Ordsall Hall's life was as the family seat of the Radcliffe family, who lived in the house for over 300 years. The hall was the setting for William Harrison Ainsworth's 1842 novel Guy Fawkes, written around the plausible although unsubstantiated local story that the gunpowder plot of 1605 was planned in the house. One of its many resident ghosts is a spirit called the White Lady, who is said to appear in the Great Hall or Star Chamber. This entity is said to be the ghost of Margaret Radcliffe, who died of a broken heart in 1599 following the death at sea of her twin, Alexander. The ghost of a little girl has also been seen standing near the bottom of the stairs. There are webcams overseeing the areas that are said to be the most haunted. An episode of the television program Most Haunted was filmed in the hall in 2004. Since its sale by the Radcliffes in 1662, the hall has been put to many uses, as a working men's club, school for clergy, and a radio station amongst them. The house was bought by Salford City Council in 1959 and opened to the public in 1972 as a period house and local history museum. The hall is a Grade 1 listed building. In 2007, it was named Small Visitor Attraction of the Year by the Northwest Regional Development Agency. The hall was closed to the public between 2009 and 2011 while it was refurbished and reopened in May 2011. This story was sent to me by Joanne Miller of Washington, Pennsylvania. Joanne was traveling on a long stretch of highway on her way back from visiting friends in Ohio when she had a mysterious encounter that may or may not have been supernatural. One thing is certain, the creature she crossed paths with on that dark, stormy night probably saved her life. This is her story. Joanne has driven more miles of Pennsylvania Highway than she would like to remember. Originally from Ohio, she travels home as often as possible to visit friends and family. Even so, she never has liked driving alone, especially at night, but has done so more times than she can count. On that fateful Sunday night in 1987, Joanne was more anxious than usual to get home. 
It had been raining for hours, and the roads were wet, and the sky was as dark as pitch. She just wanted to get home and relax before returning to work the next day. Joanne had been going through a rough patch recently with her boyfriend and had needed to get away for a while. Their relationship had been volatile for some time, and what had started out as arguments had escalated into physical violence. Joanne had finally told her boyfriend that it was over between them. It had been a great relief for her to end the affair. Now that it was over, she was looking forward to the future and all of the possibilities that lie ahead. Spending a couple of days with old friends had really helped to ease Joanne's mind after the breakup. She was still about an hour from home, traveling down a long stretch of highway when something happened which would alter the course of her travels and perhaps her life. She was in the middle of nowhere when a large white dog appeared as if from out of the blue and ran across the roadway in front of her car. Joanne slammed on her brakes and skidded on the wet pavement in an effort to avoid hitting the animal. The car came to rest on the side of the road. Thankfully, she hadn't hit any other cars in her panic to keep from hitting the dog. She sat in her vehicle and looked around for any signs of the white animal that had been on the road only seconds earlier, but she could see nothing. The more Joanne thought about the creature that had darted in front of the car, the more she began to doubt that it was a dog. It had been larger than any dog she had ever seen, larger even than a wolf. It had been more the size of a bear, but she knew there was zero chance of it having been such an animal. After sitting for a while, cars whizzed by her, Joanne decided to get back on the road and head home. She was still shaken by the whole experience, and she wanted more than ever to get off the highway. She ended up turning off at the next exit and stopping at a gas station for a cup of hot coffee, something she would never normally do. She even sat at a little table that was set up near the coffee area while she sipped at the warm drink. The night's events kept running through her mind as she sat, staring out the window. She still wondered what kind of animal she had almost hit and where it had disappeared to. Realizing that it was now very late, Joanne got back in her car and pulled back out onto the highway, heading towards home. The eagerness that she had felt earlier to get home and relax was gone. She now felt as though something didn't want her to go home. She still can't explain what it was, but she just had a feeling that she should take her time. Finally, hours after she should have been home, Joanne turned down the street that led to her apartment building. She immediately saw flashing lights and emergency vehicles blocking the entrance to the parking lot. Some of the other residents were standing outside, so she got out of her car and went over to them to find out what was going on. With all of the commotion, she assumed there had been a fire. One neighbor, who Joanne knew very well, looked stricken when he saw her approaching. Joanne asked him what had happened, and his face went white as he broke the news to her. Earlier that evening, the neighbors had heard a ruckus in Joanne's apartment. They figured that it was Joanne and her boyfriend in the throes of an argument, which they were becoming accustomed to, so they didn't pay it too much attention. That is, until they heard the gunshot. Immediately, the neighbors feared the worst, that the boyfriend had shot Joanne. Several of them called the police, who arrived shortly thereafter and entered the apartment. 
It wasn't Joanne who had been shot, it was her boyfriend. He was found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Before killing himself, he had ransacked the apartment. Joanne's clothing had been shredded and family photos had been torn up and thrown in the toilet. Joanne's cat had also been killed during the boyfriend's rampage. Through phone calls that the boyfriend had made earlier to family members, investigators were able to piece together what they think happened that night. The boyfriend, distraught over the demise of his relationship with Joanne, had come to the apartment to confront her. He had waited in the apartment for Joanne for several hours, destroying her property and killing her cat in his mounting rage. Finally worn out physically and emotionally, he had pulled out the gun that he had brought with him and shot himself. No one who knew the couple doubted that had Joanne been home when the boyfriend came to confront her, she too would have died that night. The relationship had been abusive and she had always feared that he would someday do her harm. Joanne couldn't help but think back at what had happened to her on the highway. If the mysterious white dog or whatever it was hadn't run in front of her car, she would have been home hours earlier. That one chance encounter had started a chain of events that had delayed her, thereby saving her from what would have probably been a fatal confrontation with her boyfriend. Was Joanne Miller just the benefactor of a lucky coincidence on that fateful night? Or did something supernatural step in and change the course of her journey, thereby saving her life? She doesn't know the answer, but she is thankful for every day that she wakes up. Joanne knows, but for a chance encounter with a white dog on the highway, she probably wouldn't be here today. It's true what they say. We never really know how often danger stalks us, or how many times we are spared without even knowing how close we came to a violent end. The hand of fate truly is fickle. Supernatural literature is filled with accounts from some of the most haunted houses in America. Time and again we have seen the lists of places that every ghost enthusiast is supposed to visit. The Lemp Mansion, Winchester Mansion, Whaley House, Myrtle's Plantation, and the list goes on. But what about those houses that are not so widely known? Perhaps they are only local haunts or places that are off the beaten path but many of them are just as haunted, or even more so, than the American haunts that have become so famous. What follows is a look at just a few of the lesser-known haunted houses that dot the American landscape. Nemecolon Castle, Brownsville, Pennsylvania Looking out over the Monongalia River in Brownsville, Pennsylvania is Nemecolon Castle, which was once a famous site on the old National Road. The three-story mansion with its ramparts and turret actually predates the town and was built on the site of Fort Byrd, a garrison from the days of the French and Indian War. The castle was built by Jacob Bowman, a local businessman who owned a nail factory and a paper mill and was later a postmaster, justice of the peace, and bank president in Brownsville. As his wealth grew, so did his family. 
After he fathered nine children with his wife, Isabella, he decided to build the mansion, which was completed in the early 1800s. In the years that followed, the house was not only a family home but also a stop on the Underground Railroad. It remained in the Bowman family until it was eventually donated to the local historical society, which maintains it today. Over the last few decades, the house has gained a reputation as one of the most haunted spots in southwest Pennsylvania. Staff members and visitors to the castle have reported strange happenings, from heavy disembodied footsteps to slamming doors, the erratic behavior of lights, and full-bodied apparitions. The ghost of a little girl who is normally seen in the middle part of the house has been reported at least a dozen times over the past decade. Others have sighted a small boy, a stern-looking older woman, a ghostly little dog, and even an older man who is believed to be Jacob Bowman himself. Tinker Cottage, Rockford, Illinois The Tinker Swiss Cottage in Rockford, Illinois stands today as one of the most unusual homes in the state. It was built by Robert Tinker, an unusual man in his own right. Born on December 31, 1836 in Honolulu, Hawaii to missionary parents, Robert came to Rockford in 1856. He was employed as an accountant by Mary Dorr Manny, the wealthy widow of John H. Manny of the Manny Reaper Works. His inspiration for his amazing cottage came during his tour of Europe in 1862, where he fell in love with the architecture of Switzerland. In 1865, after returning to Illinois, he began building his 27-room Swiss-style cottage on a limestone bluff overlooking Kent Creek. He surrounded his Swiss cottage with over 27 acres of trees, vines, winding pathways, flower beds, and gardens. A three-story Swiss-inspired barn was added to the property, which housed cows, chickens, and horses. In 1870, Robert and Mary Manny were married and became one of Rockford's most influential couples. Tinker became mayor of Rockford in 1875, was a founding member of the Rockford Park District, and the CEO of the Northwest and IC Railroad Lines. Mary Tinker died in 1901, and Robert later remarried her niece, Jessie Dorr Hurd. When Robert died in 1924, Jessie created a partnership with the Rockford Park District, allowing her to remain in the house until her death. After her death in 1942, the Park District acquired the property and opened the home as a museum in 1943. Over the years, visitors and staff members alike have experienced the hauntings here firsthand, from the sound of footsteps in the hallways and on the stairs, to voices, songs being hummed, and the eerie laughter of children. A home for terminally ill children was located nearby for more than 30 years, and often the children were allowed to play at the cottage. Could some of them linger behind at the place where they found happiness? Even skeptical staff members have been convinced of the hauntings as they hear things they cannot explain and have seen objects move by something other than earthly hands. McCune Mansion, Salt Lake City, Utah Located in the Capitol Hill section of Salt Lake City, Utah is the McCune Mansion, built by Utah South Railroad and business tycoon Alfred McCune in 1900 at a cost of over $1 million. 
Born to a British Army officer and his wife in Calcutta, India, McCune immigrated with them to Utah Territory after they joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints LDS. By the time that he was 21, McCune had become a highly successful railroad builder and was connected to other millionaires of the era. He was a partner in the Peruvian Cerro de Pasco mines along with J.P. Morgan, William Randolph Hearst, and Frederick William Vanderbilt. He owned business interests throughout Utah and in parts of Montana, British Columbia, and South America. He and his wife Elizabeth traveled widely and at one point Elizabeth was entertained by Queen Victoria at Windsor Castle. McCune wanted his home to be an extravagant display of his wealth and financed a two-year tour of Europe for architect S.C. Dallas so that he could obtain design ideas. The new home towered over the surrounding streets and no expense was spared. It was constructed from red Utah sandstone, but other materials and furnishings were imported from all over the world. McCune and his wife lived in the home until 1920. Prior to moving to Los Angeles, they donated it to the LDS Church and it became the McCune School of Music. In the early 1950s, the mansion became the Brigham Young University Salt Lake City Center until 1972 when it was moved to a larger location. It was sold in 1973 and became the Virgin Tanner Modern Dance School. Since then, the building has been privately owned, often used for wedding receptions and other short-term rentals. Though it's unclear why, the haunting in the house began soon after the McCunes moved out. Since then, the list of strange reports has continued to grow. Under the stairs is a room that was once used for music practice, and although this is no longer its purpose, instrumental music is still heard coming from within. Two apparitions have been seen in the house, a man in a long black coat and a little girl who resembles one of the portraits that hangs in the house. The young girl has been seen walking in and out of a mirror in the west end of the mansion. Another odd report involves phantom footsteps that begin and end in the center of the rooms. There are also reports of items being moved about, furniture rearranged, lights turning on and off, and doors that unlock themselves even after being secured for the night and double-checked. The identity of the house's lingering spirits remains a mystery. Taliesin Spring Green, Wisconsin Located in Spring Green, Wisconsin is Taliesin, a former summer home that belonged to its designer, Frank Lloyd Wright. It's become famous as one of the finest examples of his signature prairie-style architecture, but what most people don't know is that it was also the scene of a heinous crime in 1914 that left a haunting in its wake. Wright began building the house in 1911, soon after leaving his first wife and six children. He had been involved in a scandalous affair with Mama Borthwick Cheney, the wife of one of his clients. She left her husband to move to Spring Green while Taliesin was still under construction. Although Mama did not have primary custody of her two children, they were spending the day with her on August 15, 1914. Wright was in Chicago, supervising the construction of another project, while Mama and her children were eating lunch with several workmen in the dining room. A servant named Julian Carlton, who had been fired earlier that day, locked them in the house, 
poured gasoline under the door and set the house on fire. As the people trapped inside tried frantically to escape, Carlton attacked them with a hatchet, killing seven people including Mama and her children. The tragedy destroyed the majority of Taliesin and most of the records of Wright's early work. Wright received a telegraph in Chicago and rushed to Wisconsin only to find the mansion and his life in ruins. Determined not to be defeated by this terrible turn of events, he rebuilt Taliesin in Mama's honor. But bizarrely, the second house also met with tragedy. In April 1925, a lightning storm started a fire in the house's telephone lines and it burned to the ground. Defiant against the forces of nature, Wright built a third incarnation of Taliesin on the same site and it has survived to this day. Taliesin is one of the most visited of Wright's homes in the country and the most haunted. After the murderous events of 1914, the bodies of the victims were taken to a cottage on the property called Tanyaderi. It is in and around this cottage where Mama's ghost has been reported over the years. She is usually dressed in a long white gown, and while she is a peaceful presence, she is obviously restless and lost. It is also said that doors and windows open and close by themselves within the cottage, and lights sometimes turn on and off. Witnesses say that they sometimes close the place for the night, only to return the following day to find everything wide open. The events of the past have truly marked the house as a haunted place that will be forever linked to a tragedy of long ago. Prospect Place, Trinway, Ohio The unique mansion known as Prospect Place in the tiny town of Trinway was built by George W. Adams, who came to Ohio from Virginia in 1808. Already wealthy, Adams had inherited his grandfather's plantation but had freed all of the slaves his family owned before selling the farm. Adams hated slavery and chose Ohio as his new home because it was a free state. Within two decades, he was one of the wealthiest men in the region. He owned two flour mills, built bridges and canals, and helped develop the town of Dresden. In addition, he provided free grain for the poor and offered his home as a safe house for slaves who escaped the South using the Underground Railroad. He built the Greek Revival-style Prospect Place in 1856. It was the first house in the state to have indoor plumbing and was fitted with a cupola on top of the house where a signal light could alert runaway slaves that the place offered food and shelter. Injured, sick, or wounded slaves who did not survive their journey to freedom are among the spirits still believed to linger in the house. George Adams lived long enough to see slavery abolished in America before he died in 1879. He left his vast estate to his children, but over the years relatives squandered it and by the middle of the 1950s, the house was abandoned. It was later sold to the Cox Gravel Company, which offered tours of the mansion, but it steadily declined. By the 1980s, time and vandals had reduced the place almost to ruins, and it was slated for destruction. If not for the attention paid to the house by the famous Longerberger Basket Company of Ohio, it might have been lost. Company founder Dave Longerberger had recently purchased and renovated a number of historic buildings in the area 
and he wanted to restore Prospect Place. Unfortunately, he passed away before work could be completed, but the house was rescued again, this time by George W. Adams, the great-great-grandson of the original owner. Work to restore and preserve the mansion is ongoing today. Prospect Place has long been regarded as the local haunted house by those who live in the area. The stories of the hauntings date back many years, and if even a portion of them are true, it is one of the most haunted houses in the state. In addition to the spirits of former slaves who linger in the house, there are also the ghosts of train accident victims who haunt the basement. After an accident on a nearby rail line, the wounded were brought to Prospect Place and the basement was turned into a temporary hospital. Their ghosts are now believed to haunt the underground rooms. Another ghost is believed to be that of a young girl who died in an accident at the house. Her ghost has been seen playing inside and outside of the mansion, and her girlish laughter has been frequently reported. A ghost who has been seen near a staircase on an upper floor is thought to be George W. Adams himself, or perhaps the spirit of William Cox, Adams' son-in-law, who mysteriously vanished in 1886 after absconding with a large part of his wife's inheritance. Some believe that he has been forced in death to return to the place where he carried out his betrayal. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Backdoor Fiction, you can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com, and I might use it in a future episode. You can find links to all of the stories in this episode in the show notes. This episode of Weird Darkness was brought to you by the Nocturnal Readers Box, now an official sponsor of Weird Darkness. If you're a horror fan, you'll love it. As a subscriber to the Nocturnal Readers Box, every month you'll get at least two horror books, one new release and one previously released title. You'll always get a bookmark and a custom art print that is only available in the Nocturnal Readers Box. These are not shiny, glittery quotes. They are actual artworks commissioned per the theme each month. They always have seven or more items in the box every month, too, often more. And if you subscribe now, you'll get the May Nocturnal Readers Box themed Who Made This Bloody Effing Mess? Featuring items inspired by Joe Lansdale, Robert McCammon, Anne Rice, Richard Lehman, and a very special wearable that you don't want to miss. Subscribe today at thenocturnalreadersbox.com. And there's a special deal just for you, my weirdo family. You can get 15% off your first subscription up to six months by using the promo code WEIRD15. All one word, no spaces. WEIRD15. That's WEIRD15. Sign up now at thenocturnalreadersbox.com. That's thenocturnalreadersbox.com or click the link in the show notes. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness.